Welcome to the Curious Hill Podcast. My name is Pastor JD, and I'm glad that you're tuning in today. I want you to think for a second. Think about a time that you felt helpless, just like completely, utterly helpless. Uh, recently, uh, as you know, my wife and I, uh, probably know by this point, my wife and I, we just recently moved here to Walla Walla from New Jersey. And when we, when we were in New Jersey, this happened probably six months before COVID, uh, my wife got sick. Uh, she got sick and she was a nurse at this point and she wasn't sure, you know, whether she should call in sick from work or not because she was sort of on the fence, uh, you know, where you feel sick and you don't really have a fever, but you feel super, super nauseous and you feel like a fever is about to come on. Uh, well, that was my wife, Megan. Uh, and so she decided to call out from work and it ended up being a really good uh, choice because, you know, she was sick for a day or two. Now, I, uh, being the terrible person that I am, I questioned her. I was like, are you, are you sure? Are you really <laughs> sick? And obviously, uh, for those of you listening out there, uh, don't do that. Uh, that's terrible. Never question someone if they're truly sick, you know, even if it's in that in-between stage of sniffles or you're just starting to feel sick. Anyways, I questioned her uh, and she took offense to that and rightly so. Anyways, she took it like a champ. You know, she stayed home. Uh, didn't really, you know, didn't really, I think she threw up once, but she was over it, you know, within a day. And then I, one or two weeks later, deservedly so, ended up getting the same sickness. It was, it, it was about a week. It took about a week for it to set in because I got the exact same sickness she did. And it wiped me out. Whereas it took Megan like a day, a day to recover from. And she had sort of mild symptoms. Like she threw up once, but she was sitting up doing fine. I was bedridden. And she'll, she'll tell you, she'll be the first to tell you that I can be sort of a drama queen sometimes. Uh, and that's something that I proudly own. But this sickness, <laughs> I was completely bedridden. You know, I threw up several times. I, I felt so, so sick. I had chills and I just curled up in a ball in bed and I sort of just laid there for like four or five days. You know, I felt completely helpless. Uh, when I think of another story in my life where I felt super, super helpless, uh, I remember, and I remember this as a kid, um, I remember this very distinctly because it's a really traumatic experience for me uh, that I look back on. But anyways, I was in the pool uh, and I was playing with my brother. And we were roughhousing, you know, we were sort of wrestling, um, as all brothers and young boys do. And he ended up pushing me underwater and I couldn't breathe. And I was waiting for him to let me above water, but it wasn't happening and I couldn't breathe. And at the young age, I think I was seven or eight years old, but I literally, I felt like my life was flashing before my eyes. You know, I thought this is when I was going to die because I was completely helpless. You know, like I couldn't do anything. And finally, <laughs> he let go of me. Uh, I swam over to the edge and I bawled my eyes out. You know, like I said, as the drama queen that I am, uh, I, drama king, whatever you want to call it, I was bawling my eyes out. You know, and I, I remember that experience to this day, just how utterly scared. I don't know if I've ever felt more scared uh, or more helpless than I did that day. We're going to look at a story today. Uh, we're going to talk about a story where... This man, he literally was completely helpless. So there's this story uh, in the Bible in Mark chapter 2. And we're not going to read the whole story. We're just going to talk about it uh, mostly. But anyways, there's this guy. And he's a cripple. Uh, so we read that he is a... Here, I'm looking for it now. Yeah, he was a paralytic. So he was paralyzed uh, either from the neck down or for the waist down. We don't know. Uh, but there's this guy and he's a cripple. Now back then, during that time, 
If you were a cripple, if you didn't have working legs, you were almost 100%, unless you were in a super, super well-off family, you were confined to being a beggar. Uh, you were on the streets, and most of the time, you would be in front of the temple. So you would be in front of a temple or a synagogue, sort of right outside of the church. And so people, as they would go on their way to church, uh, on their way to synagogue, they would give you some money, uh, and then you could use that money to buy food. But anyways, Jesus, this Jesus guy, he gets to town. And there had been rumors swirling about this guy, Jesus, that he had healed people. He had healed people of uh, stuff, you know, of sicknesses, of leprosy, of, you know, he'd healed cripples, paralytics. And so there's this guy, he's a paralytic, and we actually don't know much about him. The Bible doesn't say anything about him at all. But we hear, we learn that Jesus gets to this town uh, called Capernaum. And these guys, they get, they get news of this. And so they know this cripple uh, who's not going to be able to come and see Jesus. So what they do is they pick him up. And these guys, they learn that Jesus is going to be speaking at a house later that day. So what they do is they go up uh, the stairs to the house. So back then, how houses looked sort of back then is sort of imagine a one-story building, but there were almost always stairs or like a ladder on the side of the building. And the reason for that is so that you could get up to the roof to either repair the roof or store something on the roof. But anyways, these guys, they bring their friend up to the roof and they tear the roof off of this building that Jesus is in. So we read that um, that Jesus is inside of a building and he's preaching the word to all these people. And the reason they have to go up to the roof is it's completely jam-packed. Uh, it says in Mark 2 that there is no more room, not even at the door, uh, which makes sense. If there's this guy going around healing people and spreading good teaching, you know, it's going to be a packed house. Anyways, so these friends, they can't get their paralytic friend in through the door. So what they do is they take him up to the roof. And then what they do next is awesome. I've heard I've heard of, you know, stories, retellings of the story where they open the roof, you know, or there's a hole in the roof. I think I remember watching a movie and there was a hole in the roof, you know, where they lower uh, their friend down. But no, that's not what happens. So if we look at the Greek, what the Greek says is the Greek word for what they do to the roof is apostegatso. And what that means is they tear off the roof. It's a very strong Greek word as far as tearing it off. So it's not that there's not a roof there. It's not that, you know, there's a hole in the roof. They literally tear the roof off to get to Jesus. Talk about desperate. <laughs> if, we, if we were in church here at Blue Mountain Community Church and you heard someone, ting, 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 starting to hammer at the roof, I mean, I feel like a lot of people, <laughs> it's just not a sight you see every day. These guys wanted their friend, to see Jesus so badly that they were willing to tear off the roof. And we're going to turn to the passage to see what happens next. And when Jesus saw their faith, now he's the friend's faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned him within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But, they, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, 
rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the paralytic rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like that. Now, the cool parts that I want to point out is it says Jesus performs this healing. He forgives the man's sins. It says when he saw their faith. It doesn't say when he saw the faith of the paralytic. It says that he forgave the paralytic when he saw the faith of his friends. I have people in my life that aren't believers, that don't follow Jesus, that don't really want to have anything to do with him. And I've talked with a lot of people who have close family members, who have close friends, who aren't followers of Jesus. And there's this great concern about them, about their well-being. And I think that it's important. This verse is so, so incredibly important because Jesus offers forgiveness to this paralytic, not because of anything the paralytic did, but because of the faith of his friends. Now, I'm not trying to say that everyone that you pray for, if you pray for their sins to be forgiven, that they'll all be forgiven. I honestly don't really know how it works. But I mean, we can also look at James 5. Uh, James 5, 12 through 18 also seems to, if, if you want to look at that on your own time, it seems to say that if you pray for the forgiveness of sins of a brother or sister, uh, that you know that they will be forgiven. Uh, I'm not sure how, how forgiveness works, if God will forgive and reconcile everyone that we pray for to himself. I don't think anyone can know. Uh, I'm glad that God's the one in charge of that. But what I do know, what this verse, what this passage really does show us, is that God's forgiveness is more powerful than we can imagine. And it doesn't just come when we ask for it. You see, we might think that we have to ask forgiveness first in order to receive it, but it's completely reversed in this passage. In this passage, Jesus forgives before he does anything else. He forgives uh, with no regard for what the man says. He doesn't ask for forgiveness. Jesus just flat out forgives him. And it's important that this passage, this verse, this is in Mark chapter 2. This is right smack dab at the beginning of the book of Mark. And there's a reason for that. You know, the, the guy that wrote Mark, he's, he's not, you know, Mark... He's not dumb. He's trying to create a narrative about who Jesus is. And this, by putting this right at the beginning of his story of Jesus, it shows just how important Jesus' forgiveness is and how it's forgiveness that doesn't depend on us, that doesn't depend on our well-being, on us even asking for it. And that, that's a scandalous kind of forgiveness. Uh, the, the, the other thing that I think will be really cool to point out um, that we sort of miss because... <laughs> You know, again, and it's always hard to understand the Bible and to really put ourselves in the shoes of someone that's living back then. Uh, but back then, Jews, they believed that if you were sick, you were sick because you sinned, because you did something wrong. Uh, a lot of people still believe that today. I've actually talked with Christians that believe that, that if you're suffering from something, that it's because you did something wrong. Now, the Jews believe this because there are Old Testament passages that make it seem like this. Um, you know, we see like Adam and Eve in the Bible, for example. Uh, you know, Adam and Eve, they disobey God. And so what does God do? He punishes them. Uh, he says that, you know, you have to work and toil the land and that, you know, Eve will have to suffer through childbirth and that both of you will die because you disobeyed. Uh, there's many other verses that, you know, talk about God punishing people for what they've done wrong. Uh, and we also can see, this is, this is probably best illustrated by a philosopher that lived during the time of Jesus. 
His name is Philo. He's a Jew, a Jewish philosopher. And Philo himself said that if someone is sick, it's, it's because they did something wrong, uh, you know, no matter what. So that being said, that's what everyone thinks. You know, oh, that cripple that's there on the side of the road, they did something to deserve that. You know, oh, the person that's blind, they probably fell in the sin. They did something to, to deserve that. And that's the way that people thought back then. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's the way that many people think now and that all of us have a tendency to think uh, when we're not at our best. You know, that when tragedy befalls someone, we say, oh, they deserved it. They had it coming. Anyways, all that being said, I think that that's an important background because if that's the case, then it gives what Jesus says that much more import, that much more weight. Because you see, when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, then what does that mean? If the man is paralyzed because of his sins and Jesus is saying your sins are forgiven, he's flipping this mindset on his head, on its head. Jesus is saying that your sins are forgiven and you can still be a paralytic. That this way of thinking that those who are suffering, that those who are marginalized, that it's their fault, Jesus is saying no. That's not it. It's not that bad things, you know, cause you to, sometimes bad things do cause us to suffer the consequences, but it's not always that, you know, that sometimes life just happens, <laughs> you know, and we don't deserve what's coming our way. And Jesus is saying that. And to, and to prove his point, Jesus also heals him. So if these two concepts went together, First, you know, Jesus dispels of the concept by forgiving the man before healing him. But for the scribes and for the people at that time, the judgmental people at that time, if these two things went together, that you have sins and that that causes your sickness, then Jesus healing this paralytic proves that he's forgiven. Does that make sense? You know, for someone that they might just say, oh, Jesus is just saying he's forgiven. But Jesus not only says he's forgiven, but he heals him to prove that he is forgiven. And I think that that's important for us today because not all of us experience that kind of healing in this lifetime. But one day when we're resurrected to be reunited with Christ, even being in those resurrected bodies proves Jesus's power to forgive. You know, we will be forgiven we will be renewed and rejoined with him. And like we talked about earlier, it has nothing to do with us. It starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. And our job is just to get up immediately. That's what the man does. He gets up immediately and he walks out the door. It's, our job is to get up when we're healed, when we're forgiven, because we all experience forgiveness. We can experience forgiveness today, even though we may experience healing later, even though those go hand in hand, when we experience forgiveness, our job is to get up out the door like the man and to walk out and to proclaim, to show people that I used to be a paralytic and I'm not anymore. And that proves that I'm forgiven. You know, I used to be blind, but now I see. And there's healing in that message, in a message that no matter how marginalized you may feel, no matter what you're going through, you know, you could be going through, you could have lost all of your money. You could have gone through a terrible divorce. You could be extremely, incredibly sick. You could have lost a loved one. Uh, it doesn't matter. 
a lot of things that happen to us in life, they just happen, and they're not all consequences of sin. But we know, we can have hope that Jesus, even, even when we're feeling completely downtrodden, like we see here, he will come to us. And even before we can ask for forgiveness or ask for healing, Jesus will reach out and he will forgive and he will heal. And the second area for hope is something that I touched on earlier, and that is that prayer is powerful. You know, those friends were able to physically bring their paralytic friend before Jesus. And while we may not be able to do that, we can lift up our friends and our family to Jesus in prayer and pray that he forgives them and then put our trust in a loving God and a God who did heal the paralytic even though he was completely and utterly helpless. And so as we go out this, this, the rest of this week, because this, this is a Wednesday, uh, the rest of this week, this weekend, uh, the rest of this month, the rest of this year, uh, we've all felt, I, I know I felt pretty helpless this year on a lot of things. You know, it feels like there's a lot in this world that's happening that's completely outside of our control. And I think that we can take hope, you know, in, in this God who even though we're completely helpless, he comes to us and he forgives. Not only does he forgive, but he heals. And so let's be like the friends. Let's bring, let's bring our friends and our family before Christ in prayer. And let us also take hope for ourselves when we feel helpless. I want to thank you for listening to the Curious Hope Podcast. We'll see you again in a couple weeks.